My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. Well, I'm very thankful that you are spending this Christmas weekend with us here at Sunrise. Uh, Christmas is undoubtedly one of the high points of our year. Uh, As followers of Jesus Christ, we look to the Christmas story as the beginning of the hope. And what we do is we put it in the form of decorations with trees and lights and things like that. But I want to think about the nativity set. How many of you have a nativity set at your house? Okay. All right. I love the nativity set because it is the Christmas story wrapped up into one location. And so we've got a nativity set. It it, it looks very close to this one right here. You've got, you know, Joseph and Mary, and you've got some shepherds and angels. And we keep our wise men far away because if you know the story, they didn't come right then, but a little bit later. When our kids were younger, we had a a childlike nativity set to kind of get them in the mood. It was something like this. Um, Play school. I like it. I think it's kind of cool. As I was looking for nativity sets, though, little pictures of them online, I was struck by the, the missed opportunities of my life. For example, this one right here. This is the millennial slash hipster nativity set. Now, you got to dwell on this one for a while. Don't just gloss over this. There's a lot of depth in this one. First of all, 100% organic beef right here going on with gluten-free feed. You got the sheep here uh, with the sweater. You got the guy watching his YouTube clips. You got the three wise guys delivering the Amazon packages on Segways. A little disappointed, though. Nobody's got the deep V-neck T-shirt that, you know. uh, But, you know, you got solar on the house, which is very, very, very environmental. But if you dig in closer to the picture, look at this. You got Jesus, uh, his dad, giving a selfie here, Joseph, and you got his mom, Mary, with her caramel macchiato or flat white or whatever, and, um, you know, and so, and, and leggings and everything like that. And, um, you know, that's, that's, a good, that's a good modern nativity set. This one dates back to, uh, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. This one right here, this is your Star Trek Next Generation one. Now, yeah, this is homemade because Picard's the baby and that just doesn't work. But I love how Warp's giving this, uh, looks like a Borg cube, which, you know, that wouldn't have been a very good gift because it would have assimilated everybody, you know, but it's really nice. This one, though, I was really excited. I think I'm doing this with my boys next year. This is, uh, this is the Star Wars nativity set. I mean, for so many reasons, you got, you got the Jedi Knights as angels. Uh, that's kind of cool. Lights going on in the sky. You got the Death Star as the star, you know, that pointed the wise guys to Jesus. You got Banthas and all kinds of things bringing the people here. I think that's pretty cool. You even got Jawas in there, so not, not too bad. But this one, I didn't know what to do with. I saw this online, and I thought, I got to show this one to you. I sat there and looked at it and thought, I'm not even sure what to make of this one. First of all, it's not kosher, right? I mean, come on. 
it's a nativity set. They were Jewish, right? That's not kosher. Uh, obviously, somebody wasn't thinking. I'm thinking it was a dad with his kids going, oh, man, I can't find it. I don't want to dig it out. Let's just go make one out of wiener dogs, right? And bacon, you know? And so um, I guess you got to give them props, though, because it is fascinating. Aluminum foil crowns. Uh, and this is the unbaked version. I'm sure it would taste better once it's baked. Um, but the nativity set is so much a part of the Christmas story because that's actually what shows up in the Bible. I want to actually go back to the first nativity set, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, and we're going to see all the characters in the nativity set. So you could grab a Bible, you could turn there, or look at the screens. Because we got a shorter time today, and we got kids in the service, I want to just read through the story, make a couple comments, and we'll pray at the end and go on with our service. First of all, it starts the story kind of pre-nativity set, where they ended in why they ended up in a nativity set was because Mary and Joseph and the baby were not home. Here's the backstory. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. It's 2,000 years ago. You got leaders, you got military, you got rulers, you need money, you need to count your people. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. So they're up in the north in Nazareth. They have to go down to Bethlehem, just over 100 miles. So pretty lengthy journey for Joseph and his pregnant wife. It said he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged who was now expecting a child. Now, ladies, you know, those of you who've carried a baby, you know, first of all, that's a miracle and a work and art of itself, right? That's great. But when you think about actually getting ready to have a baby, I mean, this wasn't early. This was late in the pregnancy, and she gives birth right after this journey, maybe because of the journey, right? Remember, at Tuolity, every one of our kids, when my wife was getting ready, the nurse just said, why don't you take a walk down the hallway, and that'll activate things. And we got halfway, and we're like, let's go back, you know? But a donkey, you know, or walking or on this travel, that's really a tremendous journey for a young gal, her first baby. So they're out of their environment. They're away from family. They're away from home, the comforts of home. And they're on their own, right, as they walk down to this place called Bethlehem because of this movement of a governor that really we find out is a movement of God behind the scenes to get this census taken, to get Joseph and Mary down to Bethlehem, which was an Old Testament prophecy that had to be fulfilled. Look what it says. Now we jump in here. It says, and while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So now we have the beginnings of the nativity set. We've got Joseph, we've got Mary, and we've got Jesus, the baby, being laid in a manger, which was uh, basically some kind of a usually stone, basalt stone, or some wood feeding trough for animals where you'd put grain or you'd put straw or something like that, where they would, you know, just kind of, you know, munch on their meal. That's where Jesus is. And you know, the reality is it's not a very prestigious place. This isn't a very, you know, healthy place to have a baby or put a baby. Uh, if, if you go to Bethlehem today, you'll go to the Church of the Nativity. Uh, if, if, if you've gone there, I know I've gone there a couple times. Uh, we're going to go this spring on our, on our Israel trip. 
but you go to the church of nativity and see it but but if you know the right person they let you down this passageway that goes under the church of the nativity down into the caves underneath and very important caves because these were the caves where the animals were kept at this time so this is most likely the place where jesus was born you could go into these places in fact it's so monumental that early on in early christianity they said with certainty this is the place jerome even translated the latin vulgate from that cave expecting that if he could get as close as possible to jesus in his birth that you know he would be able to focus on translating the scriptures into latin now bottom line is this is still not a high point because they're hanging out with animals there's no room for them in the inn some of the translations say but it means all the rooms are full in every home because everybody's pressed in all the relatives have shown up right and now they're in this delicate situation where mary has to give birth and she goes into this cave or into this this cattle area and she gives birth to the baby jesus now there's more to the story though and there's more to the manger right and there's more to the nativity set than just this because the story goes on to talk about the shepherds that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep suddenly an angel of the lord appeared among them and the radiance of the lord's glory surrounded them they were terrified which we would have all been terrified right pitch dark out at night no light pollution it's just black as it could be with stars in the sky twinkling animals around your sheep making the little noise and everything like that and boom the sky lights up and there's an angel there the radiance of the lord's glory surrounded them by the way the lord's glory is always described as this inapproachable light this brilliant blinding light the presence of god the beauty of god the holiness of god dispels and pushes out all the darkness don't be afraid he said i bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people the savior yes the messiah the lord has been born today in bethlehem the city of david and you'll recognize him by this sign you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger so now these shepherds show up to the manger seeing the nativity set and you've got these men there that are walking in with their animals and you've got at least an angel but if you've ever looked at nativity sets there's usually more than one angel in fact there's a whole host of angels because that's what happens next it says suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others that means a multitude or a myriad uh, tens of thousands it's a euphemism or figure of speech for we can't count them it's just so many so vast just the sky is filled with the angelic presence the armies of heaven praising god and saying glory to god in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom god is pleased we'll talk about this in just a minute we'll come back to it but let me finish the story when the angels had returned to heaven the shepherds said to each other let's go to bethlehem let's see this thing that has happened which the lord has told us about so most likely these shepherds are out on the hillside the countryside around bethlehem and here they are going to rush in to see the baby jesus and this is how the story wraps up they hurried to the village and found mary and joseph and there was the baby lying in the manger after seeing him the shepherds told everyone what happened and what the angel had said to them about this child all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished but mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often the shepherds went back to their flocks glorifying and praising god for all they had heard and seen it was just as the angel had told them you know if you go later into the story after jesus's life is 
over and he's appeared again and he sends all of us out as followers to be witnesses, that we are going to be those witnesses. A witness is something uh, very simple. It's a person who's seen or heard something, someone who's experienced something. And these are the first witnesses, eyewitnesses of Jesus. And in fact, it's interesting, if you go back to this slide here, it says here that they're going to tell about the good news. And this idea of the good news is the gospel message. And so the shepherds were the first messengers. But now you can go to the slide about the, the shepherds. This is a shot just outside of Bethlehem, uh, modern day of an Arab with uh, his flock. So this is what it would have looked like right there. Pretty simple. Uh, you've got your sheep there. This is during the day, of course. We're in a bus touring around. The, the guy, you know, our friend Dr. Rasmus goes, culture. And we all get our cameras and start shooting pictures. Embarrassing, I'm sure. Um, but this is what it looked like. It's 2,000 years later, it still looks like this. You've got shepherds out in the fields with their flocks. Now, shepherds, though, were not the greatest of men as far as the social status. You've heard the phrase, she cusses like a sailor. Well, you could say he lies like a shepherd, right? Shepherds were not the most trustworthy. They were entrusted with animals, livestock, but they were the filthy, dirty animals, right? Uh, as I would just say, they probably added chickens to be the trifecta to make it horrible. We have those and they're filthy creatures, but we love eggs. And so sheep, you got to do it because you love wool, right? And so you've got these animals that are out there. But what's fascinating is for God to show up to shepherds, those that were not the trusted people, not the prized people of culture, those that were, we would call the least, the last, and the lost of culture, those that lived out in the countryside, probably smelled like the animals that they cared for, right? The unwashed uh, men that were out there, that was their job. They were there, and it's shocking that God showed up with his angels, his army of heaven, to declare the message to these folks. When you think about it, they weren't the politically powerful. They weren't the rich and influential. They weren't the wealthy. And they weren't the religious leaders. Just four miles away, uh, just four miles away is Jerusalem, the big city. Bethlehem's just a suburb. The big city of Jerusalem where everything's spiritual, everything about God goes on, everything military goes on. You've got King Herod. He's the guy that's ruling with Rome's hand, and, and he's not Jewish, but he wants to be. He wants to be known as the king of the Jews. God didn't show up to him. The angels didn't deliver the message to King Herod because he wasn't important to the story, not like the shepherds. Uh, he didn't show up to the religious leaders, the high priests, the, the other people that worked in the temple, the worship of God, didn't show up. They didn't even journey out there, right, when they finally heard the news from the wise men. And, and, you know, the rich people of the city, the Sadducees, those on the western hills, the people that had all the money and all the control, God didn't show up to them. It's funny because you think about it, the Bible declares later on that when God shows us, he didn't choose the rich and the powerful, the important people, the world, right? We look at the world and we see the people who uh, are, you know, on Facebook or Instagram or have YouTube videos or, you know, channels or that are movie stars or musicians or things like that, all these artists, the famous people, we want to be like them. God says, I'm not showing up to them. I'm showing up to you, which is kind of a backhanded compliment, I guess, you know? So we're not those people because those people don't sense their need for God. They've hidden it. They've covered it with whatever they have. But you and I, we know that we see God. In the middle of our lives, we see the presence of God. And just like the shepherds, you know, we experience God's message when we have a humble heart, 
when we're not trying to be greater than anybody else. That's one of the things I love about church, about Sunrise, is that when we reach out to people, you know, we reach out to the hurting and broken. Why? Because when you reach out to the hurting and broken, you'll always have a group of people to meet, right? Always have a group of people to love because when all, all is said and done, we are all hurting and broken. And when you come to that moment and you admit it and you go, that's me, that's when God shows up in the middle of transition and trouble and turmoil in your life. That's when God begins to speak. And I, I love that fact about Sunrise Church. Well, when, when God delivered the message through the angels. It was a twofold message. First of all, it was a message of glory. Look at the words again. It says here, it says, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. So it's a two-part message. First, glory. All glory goes to God. And then because of that, peace is available on earth. Well, first, what does glory mean? Well, glory is the idea of giving honor or praise that's due. Uh, again, when the Bible describes the glory of God, the presence of God, it's filled with you know, inexplainable light, just amazing light. And, and so when you give glory to God, you're shining light onto God. And glory just means you're, you're putting the focus in the right place. You're not shining it on yourself. When we give ourselves glory, we become the hero of our own story, right? We're pretty pathetic heroes. But when we point it up to God, He is the hero of every story. Uh, because of what happened 2,000 years ago, people today still are giving glory to God. I just wrote down a couple of things that I usually hear at sunrise, th- messages like this of people who, uh, you know, were hurting and broken, found God and give glory to God. Here's one of them. My life was a mess, and then I found Jesus, and he has turned my life completely around. That's giving glory to God. Some have said it this way, I could never have done this on my own, but God came into my life and changed me. Now I'm living for him. Again, my life was a mess. God God has straightened me out, and now I'm pointing it back to God. He's the one that deserves all the honor. Well, this one I heard this last week. Everyone rejected me because of the bad choices I made in my life, but God reached out to me and saved me from my own mess. Now my focus is on letting God change me to be like him. I hear stories like this all the time at sunrise, which is basically this. God still is in the business of changing lives, and when we point back to God, he is in the business of receiving that honor and glory because he's the only one worthy of it. And you and I can have an experience of life change when we put the focus on God and take it off of ourselves. But the second part of the angel's message is about that peace, about the idea of peace being on the earth. Now, I think, you know, in some of our naive prayers, we pray for peace on earth, uh, but history tells us there's always war. There hasn't been a day, historians tell us, since the birth of Christ when there's been peace on the earth. We fight and battle and bicker and argue, and I'm not just talking about your children here. I'm talking about nations. I'm talking about kingdoms. I'm talking about wannabe kings, right? I'm talking about people that boast about their own power, about their arms and their military, and we crush people. It's a good thing to pray for peace on the earth. Some of you go, that's great. I'd choose peace in my family. Did you know it's Christmas time and I'm going to the in-laws? Yeah, that's a good time to experience some peace, right? Okay, we get that. Some of you, though, truth is, the best peace you could have this Christmas would be just inside. The peace that comes when you're walking in peace with God and others. That there's turmoil, there's sin, there's struggle. There's a lot of just dysfunction in your life and you need to straighten it out, right? Well, the best thing is God still is in the business of straightening us out and giving us peace lasting kind of peace. The culture says, hey, you could have this kind of peace uh, if you buy our product, 
You know, if you, if you wear our clothes, if you hang out with our people or look like us or listen to the things we listen to, if you finally get that job or get that person or experience your goals or financial peace or whatever, you know, the Bible says those can all be had, but they will not bring you lasting peace. Personal permanent peace is the kind of peace that gives you, first of all, peace with God and peace with others. And I've experienced that, and I think this peace really then shows up when you ultimately have peace with yourself where you can walk this earth, and that gives you peace in all relationships. I've experienced, and I want to share with you peace from the past. I know in my own life, the guilt and the shame uh, you know, the things that I had done against God and against others, the embarrassment, the sadness, the sin, God can wipe all that away. God is a, like a magic marker, wipe away God. God is the kind of God that will take our permanent stain of sin and completely eradicate it and get rid of that and give us a brand new, fresh life. Regret over things you've done, things you haven't done, people you've hurt. The angels with this message promises God's peace. And when you discover that peace, you walk in freedom and newness of life. I've also discovered peace in the present, peace for the moment, peace in the middle of whatever it is, whatever the life is bombarding me with, I can experience true peace that comes from knowing that God loves me and that God wants to keep changing me to pour into other people, giving the ability to walk all the days on the earth with purpose and with confidence. That kind of peace is not the kind of peace you get from a guru. It's the kind of peace you get from a Savior God who will cleanse your past and give you a brand new peace for the present. And finally, the confidence in the future. It's a peace that says no matter what happens, and it may happen, I will have peace in the future. Now, I'm not a prognosticator. I don't know the future. I don't read horoscopes. I don't play the lottery. You know, I don't predict anything except there are struggles in this world. I mean, I can't guarantee what next year is going to be like. Uh, fact is, you know, the what if questions just abound in our hearts, right? What if I lose my health? What if I lose my job? What if I lose my spouse? What if I lose the things that are most precious to me? People lose sleep over this. They lose health over this. They lose joy over this. They lose peace of mind over the future because we allow our fears to rule over us. I do know this, that no matter what happens, you may experience some of those losses. Some of you will. Odds are in this room, some of us will experience those exact losses this coming year. But what we do know with certainty is that whether we know what the future holds, we know who holds the future, it's God himself and he has promised us peace, not just in this world, but in the life to come. Last service, I gave a hug to one of my friends and held her dearly as her sister passed away this last week. And I said, I've been praying for you along this painful journey. She says, you know what, though? There's peace because she just wanted to go home, and now we know she's with Jesus. And that doesn't make sense to a normal person, but I'm telling you, when you have your confidence secured in Jesus Christ, nothing can take your peace away. No matter what comes, and it will come, you are standing on a solid rock. So friends, I'd like to just wrap this up before we go back to our choirs and adult and kids choir and finish and give you time to go home and enjoy the Christmas holiday. I just want to pray for you. So if you would do me the favor, just closing your eyes, bowing your head, I just want to talk to you for a moment, then offer up a prayer. You know, you might be discouraged this moment. And the truth is, there's a whole lot to be discouraged about. 
You might be angry right now. You, you might have this pent-up rage inside your heart. And I know that if we were to sit down and hear your story, you'd have reason for that. There's a whole lot to be angry about in the world today. Um, you, you might be a bitter person right now. In fact, truth is, you have a lot of reasons to be bitter. You might be a cynical person at all when, when you just look at everything you look at and you see just hopelessness. And you have reason for that. I really believe that. But see, the story of Christmas, the good news of Christmas is that you can make a choice. And the choice is to give glory to God who will then give you peace in your heart. And you can be filled with the peace this season at Christmas time. The good news of God, the good plan of God, the good grace of God wants to come in and give you peace. And it happens when he releases you from the pain of your past, when he frees you from just the turmoil of today, and when he gives you confidence for the future and there's no more fear. It's a choice you make, and it starts by giving glory to God and putting God first in your life and receiving his peace through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when we come to God, we are made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. We can have peace with God. The choice is yours today. I want to pray with you, and you could talk to God personally in our prayer time. God, we want to pray today for peace. We want to pray for the, just the acknowledgement of turmoil and pain all around us, in our family, in our world, even in our heart. But today we want to call out for peace. But we got to, first of all, give you the glory. We got to put you first. We got to acknowledge your God, and we are going to choose to follow you and believe your love for us and your plan for us. And then you're going to provide peace, God. You know, along the journey, that first baby child picture we get of Jesus, he didn't just stay there as a baby. He grew up to be a child, a young man, an adult, and then our Savior who died on a cross. And that provides peace for us because he took our pain and our suffering and our shame and paid all of our sin on that cross. And then he rose again victorious so we can have confidence in the hope that we have in him. So God, today we want to give you the glory. We want to give our lives to you and acknowledge that our broken painful, pitiful lives really are not much of a gift, but we give them to you and we're going to give you the honor and glory. And then you in turn are going to give us brand new lives, perfect lives, lives that are clean. Now we'll still live here. We still have all those things around us, but you are going to live inside of us to give us peace and give us power. God, we are making the decision to trust in you for the forgiveness of our sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. We are really believing that when he died on the cross, he died for our sins and paid the price. And right now, we choose to declare with our own mouth, our own lips, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our own heart that you raised him from the dead. And so God, you have said it's by believing in our heart that we're made right with you and by confessing with our mouth that you're saved, that no one who ever calls on you will be disappointed, but everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And so God, we're calling on you right now. God, save us, forgive us of our sins, change us. We give you the glory. Father, we excitedly receive your peace through Jesus Christ. We pray in his name, amen.